One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked round at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, stop it. Would you stop telling me what to do? Conversations like that, I imagine, have been taking place up and down the Ammon Valley for the last few months. Monday to Friday, 9 till 3, as children have been kept home from school and parents and their kids have been forced to spend an unusual amount of time together. In close quarters, something that they're entirely unaccustomed to, and tensions have risen, relationships have been stretched and strained. Nobody likes to be told what they should do. Nobody likes to be told what they can't do. Perhaps you've experienced it in another arena. Perhaps you've experienced it driving a car. You're the driver and there's a person who is sat next to you and they're at pains to point out that you should have two hands on the wheel at all time. Or that 34 miles an hour in a 30 mile per hour zone is just a little bit too quick to be going. None of us enjoys having someone watching over us or even alongside us dictating what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We don't like being told what to do and we certainly don't be like being told what not to do. Luke chapter 6 verse 1. One Sabbath Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain to rub them in their hands and to eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This really will not do. You know that, don't you? 
If you remember, this group, the Pharisees, the ones who saw it as their job, their duty to lead the people of Israel in religious purity so that God would, would bless them once again, they were really growing uncomfortable with Jesus. Certainly uncomfortable with Jesus being the heralded as the bright new face of spirituality in the land. You see, Jesus said so often the wrong things. Things like your sins are forgiven to the man. Who can say that except God himself, they thought. He rubbed shoulders with the wrong people. People like tax collectors and sinners. Why would you eat with people like that? He neglected to do the very things which you'd expect from a good Jewish person, let alone a potential leader in the faith community. He and his disciples didn't fast as regularly or in the same ways as everyone else did. And now, now it seems that he's gone that one step further. Not only is he forgetting to do the right stuff, now he's actually doing the wrong stuff as well. Just briefly, the Sabbath, Luke notes, is when this takes place. And the Sabbath, if you didn't know it already, is a special day in the Bible. It's a special day for the Jewish people when God said, one out of every seven days you rest. Fill your boots with, with hard work and commitment and determination for six days, but on the seventh day, take a break. Stop, relax, celebrate, enjoy God. That's what the Sabbath was, broadly speaking, a time of rest and celebration and enjoyment in God and what he has done for us. But the Pharisees had decided that in order to make sure they didn't break God's laws, they should, if you like, add a couple of extra requirements. Just to make sure, that, really sure that they didn't fall over the edge, they would build a couple of perimeter fences so that they couldn't get even close to falling over the edge. So when Jesus and his followers are out in the in the grain fields, in the cornfields, one Sabbath day, and they, they pick the corn and they eat it, the Pharisees see what they are doing and they say that is something that we've determined is not to be done. All of their rules really came together in such a way that it made celebrating the Sabbath a pain in the neck. The Sabbath wasn't something to be celebrated actually, it was something to be endured. And so when Jesus and his followers flagrantly break their laws, they do ask the sensible question, what are you doing? Why are you doing that which we've decided shouldn't be done? Why are you breaking the law? You know, I think this is a great example of a story, okay, which shows us why sometimes people see what Jesus does, hear what Jesus has to say, and still really have no idea about what he's about. Why some people encounter Jesus and leave just so confused. Sometimes the way he conducts himself is just a little bit too much for people, too perplexing for people. His response here to them, I think, is a great example of how when people don't have eyes to see, when they don't have ears to hear, when they're not in a place and a position to assess everything that Jesus is presenting to them, they can completely and utterly come away with the wrong end of the stick. You could understand someone listening to the following and really coming away with the wrong idea. Well, says Jesus, 
Don't you remember David? He broke the law too. When he was hungry one day and was too lazy to sort out his own dinner, he went into the tabernacle to the holy place and he grabbed the bread that was on the altar that was dedicated to God, that it was only lawful for the priests to eat, and he filled his belly and he, he fed his mates and he fed his friends too. And now here's what you've got to remember, Pharisees, that great commandment, two wrongs make a right. I mean, of course, that's not what Jesus is saying here. But you can understand someone being totally and utterly confused. That Jesus' answer to the accusation that he's a lawbreaker is, don't you remember when David broke the law? Great King David, he went into the house of God, took the consecrated bread, ate what was only lawful for the priests. He also gave him some of his companions. Jesus doesn't seem to be really addressing their question or their concerns. He just seems to be looking for examples of other people breaking the rules as well. Now, the life of David is a complicated one. When we read the things that David did, it's difficult for us sometimes to pick out the right from the wrong. But I don't think there's any hint here that Jesus is claiming the rule or the law of two wrongs make a right. We'll see that in a little bit. But he goes even further says this, then he says to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. As if to say, and if the rule and the law of two wrongs make a right isn't good enough for you, well, it's one rule for one and it's another rule for another. I'm in charge. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So I get to do what I want. Now, I think you can totally understand and sympathize with folks who haven't really gotten Jesus up until this point who haven't really had it land in their, in their minds, in their hearts, who he is and what he's about. It could come across as if he's just justifying him himself by saying those two weird and wonderful things. To be clear, Jesus is not saying those things, but it serves, I think, as an example of how, with minimal contact, with minimal effort from our side, we can really totally and utterly get Jesus wrong. Thankfully, Luke includes another story, which I think clears things up spectacularly. This is what it says. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, went to the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now, it goes on to say that the Pharisees of the law are there again. This is another occasion where they have gathered together and it says this. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Stop for a moment and ask the question, why have they turned up? Why are they in synagogue this special, this holy day? Have they turned up to worship God? Doesn't appear so. Have they turned up to repent of something that they have done? Doesn't appear so. Have they turned up to seek God's guidance or to grow in his wisdom? No. None of these things are their motives for being gathered today on this Sabbath. So what is it then? Why are they there? They've come with this singular objective. To find another reason to metaphorically or perhaps even literally start throwing rocks at Jesus. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law... They were there and they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
they know enough about Jesus to this point to know that when he's in this sort of situation, when there's the opportunity to love someone, to help someone, to care for someone, to heal someone, Jesus finds it really difficult to say no. That when that prospect is there, he just can't resist helping and healing. So this is what's in their little minds. Let's keep an eye on Jesus, see if he steps out of line. And when he does, we can say, aha, we knew the sort of person that you truly were. Because again, just to clarify, they had rules about what was okay to do and what was not okay to do on the Sabbath, on the holy day. It was okay as a doctor if someone's life was in immediate danger and peril to intervene. But other than that, nothing. And no one could really say that this man's life was in peril. His life was difficult, probably. His life was uncomfortable, almost certainly. Perhaps he was unable to work and earn a wage, and so he was poor and, and cast out and, and all these sorts of things. But, but really, let's sit back and say, humanly speaking, we would look at this situation and say, there's nothing wrong with Jesus saying, I tell you what, I'll meet you at the town gates tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, and we'll sort that hands of yours out. For this particular man, it wasn't a life-threatening situation. So they were waiting, waiting to see what Jesus was doing, waiting to accuse the moment that he stepped out of their line. But of course, from Jesus' perspective, something totally different was going on. From Jesus' perspective, this was something that shouldn't wait, that needn't wait, something that couldn't wait. And so he instructs the man to stand up. Jesus knew what they, the Pharisees, were thinking, and he said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. What I'm about to do isn't for the margins. What I'm about to do isn't for the shadowy places. It isn't to be kept hidden. What I'm about to do, Jesus says to this man, is to be front and center, out in the open. Jesus wants everyone to know what he's going to do on this Sabbath day. But before he takes action, before he steps out of line, and we know that he's going to step out of line, we know, just like the Pharisees, he's going to heal this man, he turns the tables and he asks the question of the legal experts, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to save a life or to destroy it? Now stop for a moment. These categories don't really seem to make sense, do they? What Jesus is intending to do, this sort of kind gesture, which could be put off until tomorrow, doesn't really fall, I think, into the categories of doing evil or good. It, doesn't it certainly doesn't feel to us like it falls into the categories of saving a life or destroying a life. But here's the thing. This is the Lord of the Sabbath who's talking here. Jesus said that in the last interaction uh, around the, the cornfield, the grain field. This is the one who put the Sabbath in place. And he isn't just talking about the specific thing that he's about to do with this man with the shriveled hand. He's not talking about whether it should wait until tomorrow, 
where, um, for the man to stretch out his hand or whether it's okay for it to happen now. I don't even think he's simply talking about the Sabbath rules themselves in particular. You see, in Jesus' mind, the question here that he's asking is pulling back the curtain on the entire law and the entire um, uh, compendium in the scriptures of God's instructions, God's commands for his people. And this is where the Pharisees and we all too often, we absolutely miss the point. Why they found it so hard to see who Jesus truly was. Why we find it so hard to, to embrace Jesus, to follow Jesus with everything, to love Jesus, to su submit and sub surrender our entire lives to him. We miss the point because here's the thing, the law, the Sabbath laws included, have always been for our good. Not just to show us right and wrong, but actually to bring good to us. To bring good instead of bringing harm. The rules of God, his instructions and his commands have never been an instrument of hindering us. That's how very often we perceive them as hindrances in our lives. Each and every word from the, from the mouth of God is intended to be life-bringing, is intended to be a blessing to those who listen and respond. This isn't a debate about what should happen on the Sabbath. This isn't a debate about the existence of the Sabbath, which I'm sure lots and lots of Christians would love to have right now. It's a discussion, it's a debate about really the very nature of God, the desire and the heart of Jesus. What this Lord of the Sabbath, what this Son of Man, what Jesus is doing in everything that he tells us, everything that he instructs us, everything that he commands us. You shall do this, you shall not do that. You see, when this loving merciful, gracious, holy, just God speaks. It is not to hinder us. It is not to constrict us. It is not to constrain us and make our humanity less than it can be. It's so that we can flourish. It's spoken so that we can be set free, so that we can enjoy life to the full. Think back to those two examples I gave at the start. The example of the discussions, perhaps, not to give you a window into our household over the last couple of months, but perhaps that parents have been happy with their kids. Why won't you just do what I told you to do? I've told you a thousand times. Why do you have to keep telling me what to do? Parents, we know that the, the rules that we enforce aren't there to hinder the lives of our little ones, are they? The rules that we enforce, whether it's um, ruling something out or in, in, um, insisting that something is done, it's to enhance life for them. It's to make life better for them, not to make life worse. Likewise, in the cold light of day, we know that the rules of the road there, the way that we're taught to keep two hands on the steering wheel, the way that we're told to drive at certain speeds in certain situations, that they're not there to spoil the full potential of our cars but they're there to ensure that we can flourish and that we can continue to enjoy and utilize that wonderful technology beyond the next five minutes. 
those rules, those commands, whether they're prescriptive or, or restrictive, they aren't there to stop us, but they're there to, to bring life and flourishing and fullness. And I actually think the, the Sabbath is a great example of that for us. See, the first time the Sabbath is, is kind of instructed and instituted for the people was just after the Exodus, when the, the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness towards this place of promise and abundance to the promised land. And they're going through the wilderness and God provides special food for them to eat. Food that they don't have to labor for, food that they get to wake up every morning and they don't need to think about. It is the most glorious picture of God providing for his people that you could imagine. Genuinely, they'd wake up every morning, they'd go outside their tents and on the floor would be manna. Like stuff, we've got no idea what it is. They had no idea what it was, but it was food and it was good and it came from God. And God said, you know, for six days... Just take what you need for the day. Don't take any more because tomorrow, believe me, trust me, there will be food aplenty. And when the people listened to that, there was food aplenty the next day. They took what they needed for the day. They had their fill. They went to sleep. They woke up the next morning and there it was. God provided again. A lot of people saw that as restrictive. And so they didn't trust God. And so they took a double portion. I'm not sure God will provide for me in the same way tomorrow. So they took a little bit extra up. And when they woke up in the morning, it was filled with maggots and mold. And it was rank and rancid and they couldn't eat it. Except God said, do you know what? On the sixth day, in preparation for a day of rest and celebration and devotion and and coming to me, do gather two days worth because I'm not going to send manna on the seventh morning. On the sixth day, you have to gather enough for today and tomorrow. And the weirdest thing happened. When they gathered twice as much on that sixth day, the food that was kept over didn't have maggots and mold and rankness and going offness on the next day, on the Sabbath day. It was fine to eat. And it was an example not just of trusting God for his um, provision of food, but, but helping the people to learn that life, following God, life listening to God, life being with God is life as it's intended to be. God gave them these rules, if you like, so that they had to in their regular rhythm, in their daily routines, and especially in their weekly routines, come to him, exercise trust in him, which is where life truly is. There was a warning a little bit late in the book of Deuteronomy. It speaks about it. And God's concern that the people will enter into the promised land. They will have their fill. They will eat all they want. They will build their houses. They will gain their riches. And they'll forget the Lord their God who had led them so far, who had rescued them, who life is really supposed to be lived with. That way leads to death. That way, ignoring God, going our own way, leads to death. And so the rules weren't there just to be awkward and unnecessary to say, ha, 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 I'm in charge, I can tell you what to do, but was in the provision of the food and in the way that it shaped their thinking and their, and, and their, their desires and their attitudes and their actions was to keep the people in communion with God and the life that comes from him.
And so these stories of Jesus and his disciples in the field and the healing of this man in the synagogue, they go right to the heart of our perception of God and our relationship with God in Jesus. Let me ask you the question this morning. How do you view God in that like overarching sense? Or if you're more comfortable asking the question, how do you view Jesus specifically? For a lot of people, the answer will be that God is in some way harsh, that God is in some way judgmental, that God is a taskmaster, a joy thief who wants to shrink our lives. For other people, the answer might be a little bit gentler than that, but still really to miss the point. Some people will say that God is, Jesus especially, he's easy breezy, he's carefree, he's careless about us and our lives and really whatever we want, fill our boots. Jesus is focused. Jesus is determined. And that determination of his, that focus of his is wanting good for us is wanting life. That's why he can categorize healing this man, fixing him of his damaged hand as doing good, as opposed to evil, as saving life rather than destroying it. Think about how Jesus has already described himself and his mission in Luke. He's spoken of himself as a doctor who has come to heal sick people, to prescribe medicine, to, to roll up his sleeves, to get involved, to, to find a solution and to provide healing, to do good. He read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, to, to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, Jesus is incredibly determined, incredibly focused around bringing life and goodness into our lives. You can put it like this, that even when he's giving instructions, he's giving. He's giving, not taking. In another gospel, in, in John's gospel, this is one of the things he says, that the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, Jesus, the good shepherd, have come that they may have a life and have it abundantly. As humans, we've got a, a very long history of taking good things and making it things that aren't good. Taking something that is good and making it something that isn't good and making it something that brings, um, instead of bringing life, brings misery and death. You go right the way back to the beginning of the story, to the fall, taking something good, twisting it, and it, it, it brings death. Human history is full of that. Sometimes in, in what we do, that's the case. Sometimes in the things that we don't do, that is the case. Maybe you've spotted the irony yourself in this story. That the, the Pharisees, they're there and their desire on the Sabbath is not good, it's evil. It's not to save a life, it's to destroy a life. They're plotting ways of if not killing Jesus, of taking him down a peg or two and putting him back in his place as they see it. 
They needed healing just as much as the man. We need healing just as much as the man. Healing from the fact that very often this slavish view of Jesus has crept into our thinking and into our living. Perhaps even as Christians, we'd, we'd say this. Yes, he's a Lord, so I've got to do what he says. like it or lump it. But in saying that, we've missed him and we've missed the point, haven't we? We don't just do it because he's in charge, but we should follow. We should submit. We should yield to him joyfully because we know that he is the good one who has come to do good and to bring life, not to destroy it. They see the whole debate, picking grain, healing on the Sabbath. It isn't about the limits. It isn't about the, the fences that we could put in place to make sure that we don't break the, the big law at the end. It's, it's about missing the point. It's about somehow thinking that God is someone who wants to restrict us and shrink us and make our life less and totally not being able to see that he is the one who comes so that we can have life and life abundantly. Jesus has said it before, he is saying it here, he'll prove it throughout his life and especially in his death and rising to life again, that he wants good. He wants to give good. He wants to save our lives, to enlarge our lives, set us free so that we can truly be human, not these shrunken, shriveled, distorted versions of humanity that we fixate on and we idolise. You know, by definition then, if that's what Jesus is about, it, by definition, if that's what Jesus' command and God's instructions are about, then to go anywhere else, no matter how comfortable they might make us in our lives, no matter how appealing or attractive it might be to look and to turn elsewhere, it's ultimately to pursue death. And so I close just with this. I suppose the choice is ours. Jesus is begging us to come to him, to listen to him, to follow him joyfully into life. Do we want to follow him? Have we truly seen his heart for us, his goodness, his kindness? Are we willing to put aside our own driving techniques or, or the speed limit that we think should be in place and listen and realise this is for our good. You know, people did see what Jesus had to do. Jesus did respond in that positive way. They had eyes to see, they had ears to hear and they kept on following Jesus, trusting that he was this good and gracious son of man, Lord of the Sabbath in charge, totally large, for our benefit. People did see that, people did respond to that, and they found life. I want us to find life. Lord God, help us to see. Help us to see Jesus as he truly is. Lord, help us not to get bogged down in rules and regulations and this and that and keeping ourselves safe, but flinging ourselves on the one who is, in whose hands we are utterly safe. Lord, I pray especially this morning for anybody who has not really recognised who Jesus is before. 
perhaps there's somebody watching, someone listening, Lord, who in their heart of hearts, they think that you're a cruel God. They think that you're a harsh God, that you're a God who's on a power trip. Lord, I hope they can see in Jesus that that simply is not the case. You are a God who loves us and wants what's best for us. But Lord, I pray as well for believers watching and listening this morning. I pray that we would get it into our thick skulls and into our hard hearts. That it is not a bad thing to to give over our lives to you. It's not a bad thing to yield to you. Each and every area of our lives. Lord, that we would not try to maintain control, but that we would willingly, lovingly, joyfully submit it all to you. Because that is where we find life. Lord, help us to be a people who walk in response to Jesus, who hear our good shepherd's voice and follow, because that is where life is for us. That is where glory is for you. That is where it all comes together. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.